everyone, and welcome to the season two of Engaging Gray podcast, where we explore what it means to live engaged in the complex, ambiguous, and messy reality that is life. I'm Mary DeYoung, founder of Gray Space Collaborative, an intentional collector of diverse experiences, and your host on this podcast. In this season, we're exploring ideas around cultivating a pace of perseverance. We've already had some amazing conversations so far and even more to come. So pull up a chair and let's dive in. So joining us today, we have Dr. Michelle R. Lloyd-Page. Dr. Lloyd-Page lives and works in West Michigan. She currently serves as the executive associate to the president for diversity and inclusion at Calvin University. In addition to her work at Calvin, she offers consulting services through her firm, Lloyd Page and Associates, as well as she as co-hosting the Antioch podcast. I'm really excited to have her join us today. Thank you, Dr. Lloyd Page, for joining us today. Mary, thank you so much for having me on the show. I am looking forward to this and just feel free to call me Michelle. We're good. Absolutely. Um, so Michelle, you have... Um, worked in in this field for a long time but before we kind of dive in I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit maybe more about yourself and how you define a pace of perseverance (laughs) you know that is such a good question um and I think my answer five years ago even two years ago would have been different than what my Mm. answer is now um so yes I've been doing this kind of work People say, you know, ask, how long have I been doing diversity work? Um, I turned 62 last December. So 62 plus years (laughs) is how long I've been doing diversity work because I was born black and female. Um, So, yeah, that that entered me into the conversation, even if I didn't want to be in the conversation. Mm. But Mm -hmm. um, did my um, undergraduate and graduate work in sociology. Um, And that launched me into doing the more academic side of doing diversity work. And I thought I was only going to be teaching about diversity. Um, But when you mess around um, and and ask God, what should I be doing? Um, Administration um, came up and I, that's not something I had pursued. It's not something that I saw myself doing. I enjoy teaching. But yeah, when you pray those kind of prayers and you're sincere and you wait and you listen for God's direction, it's wise to follow those directions. Mm. So I have been teaching. I started teaching about diversity and inclusion in 1985, 2014. No, actually, 2006 is when I started doing administrative work as a dean for multicultural affairs within the academic division. And then 2014, as this executive level Um, executive associate to the president for diversity and inclusion. Um, So when I think about the the pace of perseverance, I wanted to give the context, right? Because I've been doing this for a while. And I think prior to um, actually December, 2019, that was a pivotal time for me. Um, Prior to that, I think I was running on fumes and doing this work. Um, but not realizing how how bad I was. <laughs> mm. um, I because this work is heavy work. It's it's not just teaching people. Don't say this, <laughs> or it's it's all good. Um, let's find the 
let's find all the good things, all the things that we have in common. If you're, because my work in looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion is also addressing systemic concerns and broken systems. And so trying to fix the systems, trying to change organizational cultures, helping people with the interpersonal work as well. But it's, it's all of that. Yeah. Um, but there was just so much going on. And because I had been doing this work for so long and feeling like at times that the world was resting on my shoulders, um, my life was a bit of out of balance um, because I was pouring so much into it and wasn't taking enough time to care for myself. But in December 2019, participated in a silent retreat and the facilitator had asked the question, how is it with your soul? And of course, it's like, well, I'm I'm an associate pastor. My my soul is really good. I, <laughs> I have preached system ministry, you know, I pour into the women who, who participate in that work. So it's good. But then in asking the question, no, really, really, how is it with your soul? Uh, and there was a bit of an assessment um, that was going that you took. And when I took it, you know, I was almost on the dangerously tired end. And mm. when, I, when I saw the results, you know, face to face, allowed the Holy Spirit to really search my heart. I realized that I, I needed a change. I needed to do something different. And so when I think about what is the, you know, the pace of perseverance, it reminds me a lot of the work of Ruth Haley Barton. Um, mm. And she talks about the, the sacred rhythms that we have. Um, and these sacred rhythms of leadership, um, of how we do this work. And for me, that was the light bulb moment. Um, she says in here that, you know, Christian business must not be confused with Christian spiritual life or with the Christian's experience with God. And mm -hmm. I had just realized that super busy, all good stuff. There is nothing bad. Um, in anything that I was doing, but it was super busy. I was so bu busy pouring myself out, um, getting so tired, um, feeling tired with the work, feeling irritated with the work, feeling why am I doing this? Nothing is ever going to change mm. um, kind of place um, and not spending enough time really feeding my soul. I was helping other people with their soul care work, but I wasn't taking enough time for mine. And so it was at that moment that I said, something has got to change. And a couple of things happened to facilitate that change. One, I changed um, the location. I changed the membership of my church. So in the middle of a pandemic, um, I changed my church membership to a place that felt more nurturing um, for what I needed in this stage of my spiritual life. And then the other thing that I did is I had at, at that time um, asked my supervisor, who was the university president, um, for a leave of absence. Um, for I was going to take 10 weeks off in the summer. This is before all the racial uprisings happened that we had agreed that from June 1 to August 15, I would be offline for doing any kind of work for the university. Um, and I felt I needed, needed it bad enough that I requested an unpaid leave because if I was um, being paid um, for my time away, then on, at least on my end, there would be a sense of obligation that if something happened um, that I would be called in because I'm 
you know, the chief diversity officer for the university. So I would need to be available, even though I thought at that time, the summer would be fairly quiet <laughs> right. because, you know, it's the summer. We don't have a lot of students on campus. So what could, what could possibly go wrong? Um, but I would just have that time to really do a deep spiritual work for myself. Um, so I had taken this, so I changed church memberships. I took the summer off, but when I came back in August, um, my re I requested that I take um, come back at 80% capacity. And this was um, so that I could continue this adding intentional space into my week where there would be a break um, so that I could mm -hmm. shut everything down because in order to persevere, you have to have energy to keep going. You mm -hmm. have to be able to fill your tanks um, up. And the, the pace of work at the executive level, there's always something to do, always something to do. And yes. there's not an easy, not easy spaces to take those kinds of breaks. I'd, I originally were gonna say, oh, every Friday is gonna be off. Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> things happen. Right. Um, but so I've been able to, you know, some I've been able to schedule um, time off and others it's like, okay, well, it's a half day here. It's a half day there. But just having those dedicated spaces during the week, or if it's a particularly be busy week, then okay, it's the next week that I'm going to be able to take a day off. And I've been really good um, at setting those kinds of boundaries to say, okay, I my laptop might be on, but I'm not checking work email. I'm not going to do any work for the university. I am going to maybe work on my own ministry, or mm. I'm going to take a personal retreat day, or I'm going to cook that day. I'm going to do something that taps into um, some of the other aspects of myself, um, creativity, artistic, and those things. I want to tap into those things because those things energize me. And if I am energized, then I have what I need to do the work that can be depleting. It's good work. It's work that I enjoy, but it can be so depleting when you don't get to see um, immediate results, right? Because you can, you can do a, I can lead a training on anti-racism, that doesn't mean that everybody walks out of the room an anti-racist. <laughs> I wish it would, but that's not what happens. Uh, so, you know, it's it's taking the long view. I understand that. That's how I'm able to keep going. But sometimes you you just like to know that your work is making a difference. And so when I, I realized, and this is at December 2019, that I needed to take a break. I needed to step out of the race. I needed to focus on me, um, do my own work so that I could fully show up for the work mm. that I love to do. So what is the pace of perseverance? The pace of perseverance means that you have rhythms that are built into your life that allow for refilling of your soul, refilling of your motivation so that you can have space to think about your why why are you doing this work? And it means that you have space to do something other than 
the hard stuff, because if you're only doing mm. the hard stuff, it just wears you out. So, yeah, so all that. And then we didn't even talk about, yeah, the impact of the summer of 2020 right on top of that. I was so glad. It's like, Lord, thank you that um, you had put it in my spirit um, to take this summer off because, again, the the agreement was made before everything um, was, you know, tossed about. And so I was able to have the space to do my own work before I tried to help other people do their work, which was very yeah. important in the kind of work that I do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that context. I think sometimes we talk about the end result and don't tell the story. And so for folks that are in the middle of it, right. We're mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not there yet. I don't know how to set that boundary. Right. Because yeah. you gave this whole context of started in teaching and started you know, didn't ask for these things. And I always say, be careful what you pray for, because oh. like, if, <laughs> yes, you're, you if might you're not get it. sure, you might get it. And then you're like, no, not that way. That's not what I meant. Right, <laughs> right. Want to want to make an impact, you know, it's like, well, but no, not as an administrator. Because yeah. <laughs> I saw the administrators who were around me and, you know, they would, they arrived at, they were already on campus before I got there. They were still in their offices after I left. It's like, who wants to do that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, but you know, and one of the things I'm, I'm curious about is do you, you know, do you think that you would have been, even after you, you know, decided with the president that you were going to take that summer off that years ago, you would have um, kept to that boundary and said, no, I don't have to actually come back. You know, because I think sometimes we do that. We set yeah. a boundary and then something happens and we're like, oh, never mind. Right. Yeah, especially with I, work oh, I we think, care about. I, I think especially in my younger self. Um, yeah, I would have said, oh, this this is OK. They need me. Um, I'm the I'm the chief diversity officer. I got to help with this. I would have. And I'm a fixer. Right. If there is mm. something broken, I want to try my best to fix it. I I have this exaggerated sense of responsibility. I could have not broken it, but it's like, oh, someone needs to fix it. OK, I'll do it because mm-hmm. I just feel responsible, even if I had nothing to do with it. And mm. I so in my younger self, I think I would have done that. And I think if I had not had that moment in December 2019, I might have said, never mind, I'll, I'll, I'll just make it a four week um, break mm, as yeah. opposed to the full 10 week break. So I think it was and it and it was hard, right, because I even though I wasn't checking my email, you know, on Facebook, I would see a posting from someone on campus and, and it's like, oh, man, I should have helped them. I could have helped them do that. Yeah. And I had to tell myself, no. Uh, this is helping them to grow as well, because if all your diversity efforts are falling on one individual, you're not doing it right. Mm. Um, so it felt good to be able to watch um, other leaders on the um, executive team, the president's cabinet, other leaders around campus, faculty members who you know weren't in leadership positions, um, stepping up and doing doing some things to assist in the situation. So, so that felt good. That helped me to see, okay, these seeds that I have been planting, this water that mm. I have been pouring on these seeds, there's fruit. So mm. my, my, my labor has not been in vain. So that was also good for me to see, because if I would have 
now that I think about it, if I would have taken those 10 weeks off and there hadn't been a crisis where other people could have stepped up, I don't know if I would have the same assurance that my work was paying off. Mm. That's such an interesting thing to think about when we think about perseverance, because like you said, I, I feel like so often we think that perseverance is just keep going no matter what. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what you had been doing until December t- 2019. Right. Yeah. And you took this as and you're like, Oh, that's not working actually <laughs> as yes. well as I thought it was. Um, yeah. And, but how often, um, one of our, the seasons earlier guests, Haley Mitsui talked about, um, a relay race, right. How perseverance is this like relay race. And we have to trust that other people pick up their baton and yes. keep the work going. Um, and so as you're talking, I wonder how, how important it is because you're absolutely right. When we don't see that our work is having any impact, mm-hmm. it's can be incredibly defeating and how important yeah. maybe stepping away which maybe feels like taking a break, which maybe actually feels like not persevering is to the long-term perseverance of our work. Right. It is the long-term. And, and, you know, just, just to be clear, I would say it's not being able to see the immediate results. I mean, I see results, but you know, the students who seem like they were resistance to the message of why diversity is important, they graduate you know, 10 years later, you get this random email. Oh, Dr. Lloyd Page, <laughs> you know, thank you so much. And I'm thinking, who are you? <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh, that person. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, it. so it's not being able to see the immediate results or yeah. trying to, you know, get to systemic changes and changing a culture of an organization takes time. There's no magic formula for overnight something happens. So, so I've seen results. It's just not seeing the immediate results and then just feeling tired in your body, tired in your mind, tired in your soul. And it's like, why keep doing this? Um, But yeah, we keep doing it because it's important work. You just have to be balanced in doing this. And, and it takes, it takes trusting yourself (laughs) that if you allow Mm -hmm. yourself to say, this is hard and I need a break, to trust that you're not giving up and to to trust that you'll that taking a break stepping off the treadmill for a moment will allow you to catch your breath so that you'll be better Mm. because i think sometimes people don't trust themselves they think well if i stop um i'm not going to get back in there and you know to be honest there are a few of my colleagues who after last summer, they said, I'm done with diversity work. I'm, I, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I, and I get that. And I think the only reason I wasn't in that space is because I had taken an extended break so that I could, so that I could work on myself. Mm. Yeah. When you, as you're, as you're talking, I'm curious if there are, are aspects of the work that you find you know, you've, you've listed a couple of things, right? The, the burden of, you know, having a lot of, it's, it's not just interpersonal, it's systemic, right? That's, that's Mm -hmm. a huge lift as well as educating individuals, as well as the own identities that you're carrying and bringing into this space, that those are some of the challenges. But when you think about some of the most rewarding or difficult aspects as, as working, not only as a educator, but a change engine, 
agent in a large institution, right? It's not, mm-hmm. academia is not like a speedboat where you can kind of, <laughs> no. you know, turn it and go here. It's, you know, it's a big I thing. wish, I wish. So um, what have been some of the, like the really rewarding aspects and, and maybe some of the, the hurdles or difficult aspects that you've seen? You know, one of the most rewarding aspects happened just last week. Um, I've been working with a, myself and the president have been working with a group of students kind of as an advisory team for us, just for, for conversation, them getting to know us, the institution and we them. And it was a, a, a group of um, African-American students. Um, it formed, no surprise, um, in the aftermath of the George Floyd um, um, being killed last summer or all, the, all that was going on. And so this was the way that the president was saying, okay, I, I need to know more, him saying he needed to know more, uh, just more on a, on a personal level to, to really get a better understanding of, you know, what, what is it like to be a student of color on campus? And, and last week, um, we had a meeting of the board of trustees and we invited um, some students from that group who are available to um, be on a panel to speak to the board of trustees. Uh, and they did an amazing job. Um, they s- spoke their truth, um, but they had hope in their mm-hmm. voices and hope for the institution. So to hear them as African-American men speak about the challenges that they've um, experience, but speak about the hope they had for the institution with regards to diversity and inclusion because of the people um, like the president, myself, and others around campus, the work that they were doing, and to, and to speak of themselves as being another link in the chain for all the people who have come before who've been trying to do this work. Um, that was so rewarding. Um, to hear them say, this is hard, but this is what we're called to do. And this is what we're going to do to make it better for the next gener- for the next class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is so rewarding. Um, when I have faculty members who are feeling challenged in this area, either because uh, they want to diversify the curriculum in the class, or they don't know how to approach a subject, or they've gotten some feedback that perhaps the hospitality they thought they were offering wasn't how it was received. And so they they genuinely want some help um, and inviting me to walk alongside them. Um, That has been rewarding. Um, Part of my portfolio is that I'm a peer mentor to all the other cabinet members. And so every month I meet with them individually to talk about their own um, intercultural journeys um, to help them enhance their own cultural competencies and cultural intelligence skills, um, to talk with them about what's going on in their in their areas. The level of trust um, that we have in those meetings because they can they know they can tell me anything without fear of being judged um, because they're asking in sincerity. So knowing that we have that kind of rapport is rewarding. So all that makes it so much easier. Having a very supportive president makes it so rewarding and easier to do this work. 
Yeah. But the challenges that are there, I think the biggest challenge, well, well there's two big challenges. The biggest challenge is just sin. If, people, if we could just get rid of sin, you know, it would just make everything so much better. Um, but I can't, I can't wipe, I can't wipe that away. So we have to deal with the consequences and the consequences are between individuals. The consequences are between individuals and communities. The consequences are between individuals and communities with institutions, um, between communities, between nations, countries, all of that, right? So we're dealing with the consequences of people not knowing how to um, work together, how to see one another as human beings. So, so that's what we're dealing with what is the, the ongoing challenge is that the work is never ending. So on one hand, it's job security, right? <laughs> There's yeah. always something for me to do. However, you know, that's why I like um, creative endeavors, um, especially cooking, because I can, I can create a recipe um, and know immediately if it's good or not, right? Uh, uh, yeah. like, this is so good. And, you know, this is going up on the blog. This is great. Or this is not good. We have to do something. There's immediate results. You know, exactly, yeah. you know, what's working, what's not working. But that's not the way of diversity work. Um, you don't have immediate results. And I could knock it out the park at Calvin University. But then there's the city of Grand Rapids. There's, then there's West Michigan. Then there is mm -hmm. the state of Michigan. Then there is the nation. Then there is our relationship. So there's always another layer. There's always something else to do. And that's what is daunting about this work. And that's before we even consider all oh, the past, oh, the past four years of um, the, the climate in this nation, yeah. of a lack of ability to talk about difference, to engage difference, to see the systemic nature of difference, that adds an extra layer of difficulty um, when your national representatives um, can't admit that white races, that um, white privilege that um, racism is grounded often in whiteness. They can't acknowledge that. That makes it difficult to talk about the systemic nature of racism, sexism, classism, and all the other isms that are going on. Yeah. One of the, the questions that comes to mind, both as you talk about the rewards, but also as you talk about the challenges, is how important is it to trust yourself that you're doing enough? You know, yeah. it, you know, it's important, but it's hard to get to. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, because I've been doing this work for so long and have had various positions where I'm in contact with other um, diversity leaders at other institutions, primarily Christian, but also in non-Christian contexts as well, that there are, that there are frequently days where you just feel I can't, there's not, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do, there's not, I don't, I'm giving all that I have, but it's still not enough. Um, mm -hmm. And so we have, we, there's that feeling 
And it's not until we have some conversations, usually with someone who's a little bit, either a little bit more seasoned or a little bit wise or a little bit more rested, um, when they tell us, no, you are doing enough. It's just that you're trying to change 400 years of history in the next week. And you can't change 400 years of history in the next week. You can't change it in the next year. The other thing um, in order to help us feel like we're doing enough is to know what is it that is ours to do? Mm. Because not everything is for us to do. In my um, office, I keep a picture of a little red wagon. It's literally about six inches long. Um, So it's a very small red wagon. And I have some, a few rocks, um, little stones in that wagon. And it's to be a visible reminder to me of a story that I read. I think the book is called Being um, Mary in a Martha World. Mm, And I've read that. Yeah. So you know that little red wagon story where the where the person God gave the person a task to carry some rocks up a you know a mountain in a wagon. They said, sure, I can do that. And they start out, it's going fine, but they keep running into people to say, Oh, you're going there? Could you take these rocks for me? Could you take this? Could you take that? And they do, but then it gets really difficult to pull the wagon um, mm-hmm. because the terrain changes. The wagon is much heavier and the person has a meltdown. (laughs) God, why are you asking me to do this? You knew I couldn't do this. And then God comes down and says, what's the deal? Says, why are you having me do all this? I told you to do this. Um, So, and then God starts pulling out the the rock. So where did this rock come from? Well, you know, it was this, I was helping them out. Oh, okay. Well, that was, I didn't give that to you. How about this one? And gets all the way back down to the rocks that God had given the person to do. And said, and then God says, what I've given you to do, I've given for you to do. What I've given for others to do, I've given for them to do. Do what I've given you to do. Go on your way. And then the person could carry on with their task and complete the task that God had given them. So I keep that as a tangible reminder to myself to not allow other people to put their rocks in my wagon. Um. Let me stay focused on what I, because in this work, everyone has a brilliant idea of what you should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) And I've gotten very good at saying, oh yeah, that, a book group about that would be awesome. You know, you should do that. (laughs) If you want, I can maybe find some funding to get the books for you to lead, but you know, I'll advertise it for you, but you should lead that because I've already got um, the book group setup that I'm going to do. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, you know, I think with that, I, I can only imagine, cause I've read that story as well. And I come back to it all the time because I'm somebody I'm like, well, but God, you gave me the wagon and the wagon's not full. So of course you must mean <laughs> for me to fill the entire wagon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be hard to, to know those boundaries. Right. And yes. I think that comes back again to knowing yourself. Well, do you, can you actually pull? all yeah. of that way or no. Yeah. And that's right. not, a, that's okay to say, actually, I can't do that. Right. It doesn't mean, you know, I think that it's really hard in work where we're, we're trying to build each other up, where we're trying to do hard things. And we know that it's hard. We know that changing perception is hard. We know that doing that inner work can be hard and draining. And so we want to help. Right. And sometimes people mm-hmm. can get lashed out. Right. Like I imagine yeah. if that person was like, Oh no, sorry. Like I can't, I can't take that. 
I can only imagine a neighbor going, excuse me, like your wagon is half full. Like, yes. why can't you just take my rock? Right. What's wrong with you? Oh, so you're one of those kind of people. You can't, mm -hmm. you forgot where you came from. No, wait a minute. I'm just trying to do what God is. Oh, did God really tell you that? So, yeah. But, you know, um, Mary, one other thing that um, comes to mind, there's a, a, I don't know if it's a poem or an essay. I think it's more like an essay written in a poem form that's called The Strong Black Woman is Dead. Um, and it's a, it's kind of a dark poem, um, but it just talked, it opens up with, you know, a strong black woman died at certain, certain time, a certain, certain date. And then it's just this litany of why she died. And it is essentially just taking care of so many things, holding up the race and everything else that she had nothing left to give. Um, and she died, but then the point, it ends a little bit bit brighter. It's like, you know, the strong black woman has died, but has she? Uh, because there's another generation coming up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I reflect on that poem from time to time because it's a reminder that, yeah, you, we, African-American women are often stereotyped as being super strong emotionally, um, sometimes physically, but, you know, we're holding together community, we're holding together our families, we're holding together ourselves, but it comes at a cost. And if we don't realize the cost um, and make the time to take care of ourselves, make the time for those, for that pace of perseverance, mm -hmm. we'll end up so depleted that we have nothing left to give. Mm -hmm. And it can become serious enough that we end up dying. Yeah. And I don't want to be in that space. Well, it, so it sounds like we, we sometimes assume that pay that like pacing ourselves is a privilege. Mm -hmm. And I've struggled with this idea as I've talked and I've worked in the nonprofit space for a long time and I get pushback on this, right. Of like, well, you can do that because right. And you and, know, and I think for single women, especially, Right. Yeah. Um, because, oh, you're single. I mean, think about the church, the nonprofits, organizations. Oh, OK, well, you have all this extra time. <laughs> and it's like, what time? I still have a life. <laughs> or I'd right. like to have a life. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm actually deserving enough to have a life. Right. Yes. And I think we that's part of one of the things that I've kind of taken away from, from this series is to say, not only do I have to trust myself in what I'm doing, but I also have to trust that I am worthy enough of doing yes. it well. Yes. And that means, and the, not only that I am worthy of doing it well, but the work is worthy of me doing it well. That it's this investment in this pace is not only for myself, but it is for this work. It is yes. for the things that we're doing. Um, and it's not selfish to actually no. take time away. Right. You are a wise woman. Oh, well, I only listen to wise women like you. And then, I, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, you know how you said this thing about how important it was that you took this time away? That seems really, that seems like a really good idea. Um, oh. And that's why I love doing this, you know, having the opportunity to, to talk to folks like yourself, because I, we sometimes get afraid to ask questions, you know, yeah. and we think that we have to have it figured out right now. And well, I love hearing origin stories, whether it's a business founder or, you know, saying, you know, origins of like, how did I get into this work and what have I learned along the way? 
because we so often just hear, oh, look, I've arrived and I'm, I can pace myself and I can do all of these things. And we never hear, uh, yeah, well, there was December 2019 and I <laughs> yes. wasn't pacing myself. And that can be so encouraging to, to, fo- to folks like myself who are saying, I'm still figuring out what that pace looks like and means for me. Um, and in some ways hearing it gives, uh, at least it gives me permission to experiment with time away and boundary yeah. setting and those types of things. Because like, well, that worked for them and they're yes. really smart. So <laughs> maybe I can try that too. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm always grateful when people ask the question because I don't mind sharing my story. And I, because I know I used to be a person who felt like, well, I could never ask so-and-so about something or because I don't, I don't want to look, I don't want to look like I don't know. Um, But what I have found that when I have become brave enough or courageous enough to ask someone, um, yeah, tell me, tell me what it's like, how, how you did this. It's so freeing because these people who I feel they have it so together, they're so smart. They are so together. They are so smart, but they're also human. And mm-hmm. so to talk about those, those things that aren't quite right or how they struggled or how they're still asking questions of themselves, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm not faking it. No, okay, yeah, this, this is a thing. And so I especially love talking with um, younger women who have younger children because, Michelle, how are you doing everything that you're doing? It's like, A, I do not have young children at home. Um, and when I had younger children at home, I wasn't doing all of this. And I mm. looked, I was the one looking longingly at these more senior women saying, oh, I'm not good enough because I'm not doing what they're doing. Well, mm. I couldn't do what they're doing because I wasn't at that stage of life. And I chose to prioritize the care and raising of my children because other women had said they're not going to be young forever. And it's like, are you sure? Because it sure feels, <laughs> it like, feels it. like forever. It feels <laughs> like forever. But now, you know, as being empty nesters for a while, it's like, wow, that time went by so fast. And now I do have the time to do all these things. So I like to let younger women know, either younger in their career or younger um, in their stages of life to say, you know what, it's not going, you're not going to arrive at your destination of who you are going to be just yet. You're working towards that. And these things that look like they're holding you back probably aren't holding you back as much as you think that it is. Mm. So enjoy the moment because (laughs) enjoy the moment and grow. It's okay. (laughs) I think that's like, I just want to end on, on that note of just that encouragement to, to everyone to say, yes, listen to Michelle, to, you know, to give ourselves grace, to allow ourselves growth, to remind ourselves that changing isn't waffling, right? We have this idea that like, oh, I'm waffling. It's like, no, you're growing, you're changing, you look different than who you were. And that's a good thing. And we can, and we can be different people in different seasons because that's who we need to be for that season. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good reminder for me as this has been, you know, a lot of change for me in this particular season. So that's a really good reminder. If you are like me and want to continue to glean more and more from Michelle, please tune in to the Antioch podcast. Um, also, she has an upcoming book 
the diversity playbook that you can check out. It is coming out soon. And if you want to stay connected, or if you're interested in getting some consulting and coaching, you can check out Lloyd Page and Associates. All links will be included in the podcast description for your ease and access. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. Thank you, Mary. It's been my pleasure.